G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, focusing on union news, workers' stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. During COVID, it might be forgiven for thinking that everything has stopped while we fight this health crisis, but of course that isn't the case. In regional Australia, as fearsome as the virus is the destruction of the local media landscape, hundreds of local papers have been shut down and the federal government has made cuts to the ABC that has meant a further 200 lost jobs, cutting into what has been called an essential service especially given the role the ABC played in the recent bushfire disaster. We speak to Erin Delahunty about what's at stake and the MEAA, the Media, Entertainment and Art Alliance's Our Communities campaign. We go from the media to HALT, a suicide prevention initiative aimed specifically at tradies. But first, some union news. Workers at the Woolworths Regional Distribution Centre in Waiyong in New South Wales took protected action last week, calling the wages parity with Sydney Distribution Centre workers. Workers at Waiyong on the New South Wales Central Coast are paid between 8% and 16% less than their Sydney counterparts. This translates to $10 per hour. They are also calling for an end to Woolworths' unsafe pick rate, the number of items a worker is expected to move every hour, and for a ratio of 80% permanent to 20% casual staff. The protected action involved a 24-hour stoppage, with the company retaliating with an indefinite lockout on the Wednesday. The workers have been maintaining a picket outside the distribution centre since July the 24th. Still with Woolworths, Woolworths Liquor Warehouse Workers at Lavington Distribution Centre in Melbourne, which supplies Dan Murphy's and BWS outlets, have also walked out over occupational health and safety concerns on Monday, August the 3rd, after a positive coronavirus case was reported on the previous Friday. The United Worker Union workers are calling for a 72-hour deep clean and all workers to be tested. You're listening to Stick Together, workers' stories, union news, social justice issues. During the COVID pandemic, the media landscape in our regional areas had been hard hit with hundreds of local papers having the rug pulled from under them by their parent companies and swinging cuts to the ABC network from the federal government. I spoke to Erin Dallahunty about what's been happening and why this is such a devastating blow for rural Australia. I was wondering if you could first give my listeners an understanding of what's been going on for our country and suburban newspapers since COVID started. Well, certainly since COVID, I think what we've seen is an acceleration of, of bigger issues that have been in play in regional media for a long time, particularly in the Victorian context. 
So ACM, which is a large media group uh, owned by Anthony Cataliero, who formerly owned Domain, they basically unilaterally announced the closure or the suspension of something like 150 titles just as COVID was first sort of happening. There's been a sort of lack of information around ACM in particular with some of the papers ceasing entirely, some some employees and journalists and print centres being eligible for JobKeeper, some not. We've seen um, newsrooms shrink where I am on the Murray River um, up in the New South Wales Victorian border. We've seen a reduction in staff numbers in other media groups. The McPherson Media Group, for example, is one. Um, so I think, yeah, we've we've seen the deaths of uh, you know some newspapers and, and what people are starting to describe as news deserts, where we've got large swathes of the state, and this is being seen across Australia, I guess, unfortunately, that aren't having local news delivered to them. So, in fact, uh, COVID may be could could be called a cover because it was already a business uh, plan in process. Well, look, I don't know if it was a business plan in process, but we do know that uh, a lot of these smaller newspapers and a lot of the smaller groups have struggled, particularly when you look at advertising content, the rivers of gold that everyone talks about that used to come from real estate and car sales and things like that. That was the bread and butter for a lot of newspapers, large and small, all over the, the state and the country. So with that that money slowly drying up, obviously because of the advent of the internet, um, these business models were always being squeezed. So you could make the argument that there is some cover there from, from COVID for sure. So there's a couple of issues involved here, of course. Uh, lots of journalists losing their jobs, but also uh, business versus community. Uh, local papers and collection of local news is has a far more important element than business, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely it does. And I, we, should, we should be careful too. This isn't just journalists necessarily that we're talking about. It's people that work in print centres. It's the people that work in ad sales. It's the people that work in reception, et cetera, et cetera. And that obviously is where the link is there with um, businesses being able to advertise and to be able to reach people. But more significantly than that, as you, you raise, these small newspapers, even bi-weeklies, you might only get the paper once a week, they are the voice of the community and they are they're the historical record. I don't know if you've ever tried to do any uh, family history or find out about something, even for a school project. Kids will go and find what happened in my town. You know, we're talking about COVID at the moment. We're seeing all these black and white photos, aren't we, of what happened in different pandemics over Australia's history. Those, those newspapers, as small and as insignificant as they might seem to some people, are the record and the history of that town, the highs and the lows, the great things that happened, those floods, all of those things. They, they become an integral part of the town's fabric. As someone said, uh, your uh, country areas aren't just uh, the extension of the big centres, a different point of view. Oh, absolutely they are, particularly when you think about issues that they're advocating for. I mean, I did a lot of my work as a young journalist on the Bendigo Advertiser, uh, and for a long time, there wasn't a fully duplicated highway between between Bendigo and Melbourne. There was large stretches of that that we knew, as, as Bendigo people, we knew where the fatal crashes were because there were terrible stretches of the road and there were continual fatal accidents. At the time, the Liberal government had promised to upgrade this road 
and for I don't know specifically number of years, but must have been close to a decade. The Bendigo Advertiser agitated and advocated for that road to be built. That is a kind of campaign that a local regional newspaper, that's their bread and butter. The Herald Sun or The Age is not necessarily going to run a campaign on something small like that. Or there's, you know, there's countless examples of this that we see all over Australia. The exposure of child sexual abuse in small communities, um, you know, road safety, mental health. I know, you know, there's been some amazing work um, done by local papers and other types of media, radio, etc., as well, around getting mental health facilities into small regional communities. Those, those, you know, those publications are the voice for that and they are the advocates for that in the same way that you have a mayor and they get on, you know, they get in the car or they get on a plane and they go to Canberra and they say, this is what we need. We need more road funding. The newspaper is just, or the radio station is just an extension of that. And that doesn't happen without that media. Well, you, you touched on local government. I, uh, the uh, role of uh, local newspapers dealing with uh, potential issues in local government is pretty important too. Absolutely huge, absolutely huge. That's, you know, shining light into dark places is what journalism is about. And if you don't have someone sitting in the council meeting, we can be talking about high-level corruption or we can be talking about something really hyper-local and something really small. You might not know about the big, uh, you know, the big development that's coming to town next to your house that you might potentially be interested in. Maybe you want to put in an objection. People don't read as much as a local councils love to think, you know, they send out their agendas, they put out media releases, they sometimes even put little newsletters in our letterboxes. Nobody reads that. No one is interested in hearing directly from those organisations. They want someone with an interest in it to sit in that meeting and say, oh, wow, this is really significant that this development is going to happen and you open up the paper on a Tuesday morning or whatever it is and that's the way that you communicate both the good and bad of what's happening at local government level, absolutely for sure. Yeah, having someone put all the facts together, is it's actually quite useful. That touches on to something very important about the professional development of journalists too. Uh, you were saying that uh, you uh, did a lot of your early stuff at the Bendigo paper. Uh, this is a really big problem, isn't it, about professional development? Yeah, look, it certainly is. And uh, there's been, you know, countless journalism um, journalists that have begun their career in small regional areas. But let's not forget, there's still some absolutely brilliant award-winning journalists that choose to make their career in the country and that choose to stay within those communities. So it's not just a matter of, oh, all these young journalists are in the country and they all want to get to Melbourne or they all want to get to Sydney. There's a fine balance there between, yes, you absolutely learn your craft. And um, I've, you know, there's been a few examples in my career where, you know, you only spell the mayor's name wrong uh, once in the paper when you bump into him in the supermarket. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. <laughs> um, <laughs> But that's not to say that there's not brilliant professionals that are still in those regions and are still breaking those stories as we speak. Now, the MEAA, the uh, Media and Entertainment and Arts Alliance, are running our, uh, our community campaign. Can you talk to that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I guess 
what happened with ACM was really the impetus for this campaign, which is really about um, galvanising the community, not only the members of the union, which obviously tend to be journalists and people who work in print and advertising and things like that, but really to, to get other people on board to show that stories from the region matter and, and how much they are valued, both by the journalists that create them, but by the, the communities. And as you mentioned, our, our sort of hashtags are our communities, our stories. And we have a bit of a tool there available to anybody where you can really quickly and simply look up your local MP and shoot them, you, you know, your, add your voice to this campaign and basically say, we feel that we want regional media need to provide for the, the health of democracy, uh, you know, and for the health of that, you know, for those communities as well. And it's it's been really well received so far. We've got a petition running there, uh, which has got about 5,000 signatures on it already, which is great. Uh, also, there's a, a couple of uh, asks, aren't there? I mean, because this is, they'd say, oh, it's a business model problem, you know, you know, are we supposed to uh, uh, prop up these papers or uh, regional media, but mm. but there are uh, options that the MEAA are putting forward, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, it, it's difficult because it is a business model and there needs to be a bit of a rethink around the way that it's funded. There's not a, there's not a simple answer. We can't just ask the government for, you know, here, we need to change this. There's a number of things on the table. I mean, we've just seen $50 million um, you know, provided to different media organisations at the moment, $20 million for TV, 18 for publishing and 12 for radio. The ACCC has been talking about that sort of $50 million in grants for local and regional news, and that's certainly something the MEAA would like to see. But potentially, you know, could the government look at tax incentives for, for new business models? This, this isn't necessarily something the MEAA endorses, but I know I've seen online discussion around do we make... Uh, media subscriptions uh, a tax write-off. Would that, would that incentivise people to sub- subscribe to their local newspaper potentially? And that then creates a slightly different business model. Maybe we can look at regulatory changes in order to make it easier for small and, and non-profit media, media providers. We're starting to see those pop up now in places that have lost their papers. We're seeing two and three and four individuals say, do you know what, even if it's not for profit model, we think that we can get this happening. So at least our community has some kind of media. So there's a lot there that the government could look at. I mean, the other one is a is a big, big fish, but, you know, you look at the likes of Facebook and Google who obviously benefit from the use of, of media that is produced in the regions as, as in metro areas. Maybe there's a way for the government to get imagine Facebook and Google to put their hands in their pocket um, and, and can we specifically target some of that money to go to the regions? And I guess the other one, and being in radio, you would understand as well, the ABC has such a significant imprint in, in regional areas right across the country. Rather than cutting ABC funding, uh, potentially there's, a, there's um, scope there to increase that funding to step into the breach um, you know, in the meantime. Yeah. You're with Annie on Stick Together. Workers' stories, union news, social justice issues. Our final story today goes to the issue of suicide prevention in our tradie cohort. Jeremy Forbes, founder of HALT, Hope Assistance Local Tradies, a national grassroots suicide prevention charity, is providing information and support to tradespeople across Australia. 
This is what he had to say. So HALT technically began in 2013 after the suicide of a tradie in Campbell's Creek, just outside of Castlemaine. Uh, and there was, uh, at his wake, a lot of people in the community just with a lot of um, questions and no answers. And so we, we don't know, we're not sort of taught in that blue-collar industry as a tradie myself how to deal with any of this stuff around mental health. So there's a lot of people just very unsure of what to say and what to do. And we decided to organise an event to try and help the tradies in Castlemaine. And we called it a Saviour Bacon Brekkie. And we had it at a local hardware store. Uh, so that was the basic origins of Holt. But for me, a lot of it's um, when you drill down into Holt, why we do it is a lot of my experiences as a tradie is part of that culture, that tradie culture uh, really drives Holt at the moment and what, how not to be an act. You know, we're out in the community, so we're always talking to new people and hearing new things. So, yeah, we're learning a lot. We're learning a lot about the basics um, as part of that culture, and like I said before, we we don't know. We we, you know, we expected to live in a certain part of a, a certain way with regards to that culture, um, and we just it's not really the best way to live and breathe. Is that sort of blokey Aussie tradie culture? Um, there's better alternatives. I like the idea of a tough, strong, hard-working, sweaty tradie, but we're just learning to tweak it a little bit with some more information around mental health. Like you say, you've been out in the community. What kind of things have you become involved in? Um, so Holt originally started in the hardware stores where tradies feel you know, comfortable and a bit relaxed to a point in the hardware stores. So we found that tradies were easy to reach there. Um, and they liked, you know, tradies like their food and a bit of a chat. Uh, then we started to, that was in Casamone in 2013, with Bendigo in two, early 2014. And, you know, it started in, Castlemania, it cost us nothing to start this because there was just a need, there was a perceived need, there was a, a need in the community to do something about this to start raising that awareness and educate uh, the men and the, and the community and the trades and those blue-collar workers. Then we went into TAFE for the building and construction apprentices because we still need to be giving them more tools and skills to be able to cope with what life's like when they become tradies. Uh, and then we started to go into men's sheds because men over 85 have a high, high, one of the highest rates in Australia of, of suicide. Then we're working with council depot workers and then we're working with gardeners and all sorts of apprentices and, and mechanics and, and, and people in factories. And now it's just become a need for a whole of community approach. So we go and speak to whoever we need to, whenever we need to, at whatever time of day or night we need it. What are you finding out when you go and talk with people? that people want to talk about it. People want to hear it being normalised. People want to hear other people being honest and authentic. We're tradies, blue-collar workers. People want to hear things in their language, that blue-collar tradie language. So what we hear is a lot of thank yous, a lot of I haven't, no one's ever talked about it. I didn't know I was, um, there was anyone else experiencing this. I didn't know there were many options out there. I thought I was alone. Um, a lot of thank yous. Uh, we're hearing about some of the risk factors, some of the things that aren't working in life that we hear from men, because we mostly deal with, with men, but women as well. But we're hearing about all the risk factors, the things that aren't working in their lives. And um, that's always an interesting uh, conversation as well. I'm assuming that uh, it, there are trigger points for people in their lives, like you were saying. Yeah, totally. Yeah, you're spot on. So trigger points. 
um, it's, like I said before, it's normalising it and having those conversations. For us, it's about, you know, a, a HALT is a registered health promotions charity. We're about intervention and early prevention. We want people to open up the conversations, give them the tools, the educational aspects, what language to learn, how to listen, how to have the tough conversation, how to use the word suicide in the conversation, how to hear your mate and your internal noise, look out for each other and go, well, my mate's struggling with, um, and, and we've got, we're lucky enough to be doing a three-year longitudinal study with Swinburne Social Research Institute, uh, and their first six-month uh, six report has revealed that some of the biggest risk factors, so some of the things that people should listen for, is around, um, obviously, mental health, but also finance and relationships. So they're probably the biggest two and interchangeable relationships, finance, finance, relationships. When we're talking to 100 tradies, finance and relationships will be the top two that come up, as well as work stress, um, sleep, gambling, drugs, alcohol, grief, loss, family. There's so many risk factors that we learn to, to listen for to help our mates. Because uh, being a tradie, uh, one of the things about being a tradie is that you're a solution focused, aren't you? I mean, you're constantly got uh, tasks to do that require you to apply uh, your intelligence and your knowledge. And I suppose when it comes to not uh, being able to deal with something that's so uh, earth-shattering in your own personal life must feel quite uh, confronting to someone who's solutions-focused. Yeah, yeah, totally. So they're going, oh, well, this mitre joint doesn't fit or we haven't got enough paint here to finish. I'm, I'm a painter and decorator. That's my trade. I, I need to go and get some more paint or I need to... Um, that's sissing a bit and I need to strip back that. You know, you can work those things out or you know, glue some pipes together or put some conduit in or something like that. So you're right, it can be easily solution-focused, but then when it comes to emotional and mental health, and once again, at TAFE, and for a lot of these um, young men especially, and women, but mostly men, is that they potentially have learning difficulties, they've struggled at school, they've struggled at home, they haven't had the real best um, demonstrated social behaviour at home. So they're already struggling a bit, and they're struggling with their reading, writing, maths, and no one's teaching them about good mental health, about how to look after yourself, what to say, what to look for. So yeah, they can do the physical applications like you said, but when it comes to the mental stuff, we're just we we, we can't fix ourselves, um, and we can definitely can't fix our mates because our usual response that we find is when you, a mate is reaching out. We get, you know, you'll be right, she'll be right. That's the common blokey, Aussie, tradie response. But that's all we know, and it never works. We need to do more than that. So that's what we do, that education and awareness raising about what to say and what to do and how to react. A tradie's life can be quite isolated as well, especially with uh, uh, these uh, ABNs and uh, contracting out and all that sort of stuff. Does that play a part in all this? Yep, totally. That social isolation that work isolation or imagine being in a, 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 a situation where, you know, for me as a painter, I work a lot on my own. So you're sanding weatherboards or scraping weatherboards in 35, 40 degree heat chasing the, the shade or you're trying to paint houses in the, in the, in the winter because uh, there's no other work around. Um, and, and, you, and, you know, yes, you've got radios and podcasts and all that sort of stuff, but sometimes that social interaction with another person is great. So you miss that. Or imagine being on the other side of the spectrum where you're actually with a bunch of guys who are all, you know, um, a, a 
bully. They bully you and harass you. They're part of that old school. They think bullying and harassment is fun and they don't really enjoy, you know, you can't really interact or talk with them. So, you know, it can go both ways. You can, you know, some people enjoy working on their own but hate working in a team. Others like working in a team and not on their own. And sometimes you just have no choice. You just have to do what you have to do, which can be tough. So um, you you do talks, you do gatherings, you've been doing studies. Uh, are there other sort of avenues that you've taken to raise your message and uh, get to your uh, fellow uh, tradies? Yeah, well, recently we were lucky enough to be awarded $2 million by the federal government, which means we're able to start building a national program. So for us, as you just alluded to, then we need to be malleable, organic constantly evolving and reaching people as we reach them. Obviously, during the COVID, it's tough. It's uh, really tough. It adds a whole new complexity and layer to it. But for us, it's about um, going to where the, the groups are, the organisations are. So it's, for us, our workers out there, we just go wherever the community meets us. And I think that's a good thing. And it's not driven by nine to five because mental health and suicide doesn't, is not, uh, doesn't discriminate. And it's certainly ain't nine to five. So I started in Castlemaine in central Victoria and then went to Bendigo and then took myself around over quite a few states as the word spread of what Holt was building. Most of our workers with that money are down at, at present. Um, with this, and this, that, that two million is over four years. Uh, with the primary health networks, we're working with Northwest Primary Health Network and the Southeast Primary Health Network in Melbourne. Um, so these are metro workers, but like I'm in Echuca as we speak now, doing on the big build project uh, in Echuca, Malama. So I've brought a couple of my workers who aren't in Melbourne, so not in lockdown as such, up here to do some regional stuff in Ballarat, Bendigo, Geelong, Wagga, Dubbo. Yeah, we just go wherever we needed. Um, it can potentially be more difficult in rural and regional areas to access help and you have to travel longer distances but if there's one good thing now about the, the COVID thing we can try and pull some positives it's that you know we can actually reach psychologists and doctors uh, through telehealth and online which I think is a good thing because we're you know, on the ground talking to people in their workplace all our workers um, you know, at least one person each session sometimes up to three, four or five come up and want to talk and thank us and tell us about their experiences and how we now normalise it and make it okay for everyone to start talking about it. So if, they, if the people at the events can start talking about it, then um, they're out there for their other workers and friends and family. So, uh, yeah, we certainly believe, I wouldn't be having this conversation with you and doing what we're doing if we didn't believe we're actually making a difference in the community and saving lives. How do people connect with you? Well, Facebook, they can find uh, HALT, H-A-L-T, Hope Assistance Local Tradies on Facebook, um, they can go on the internet, halt.org.au, uh, Instagram as well, or they can contact me personally, uh, Jeremy, J-E-R-E-M-Y, at halt.org.au, and obviously the phone, 0409 Just reach out, contact and how we can help. That's it for Stick Together this week. If our last story caused any concern to any of our listeners, you may find it helpful to know you can call Lifeline on 11 13 14 at any time to get a listening ear. If you want to catch up with our program, the podcast is available at 3cr.org.au or iTunes and you can contact the producers of the show at sticktogether3cr at gmail.com. My name's Annie McLaughlin. Remember, wherever you are, whatever you do, 
There is a union for you. And until next time, stick together and keep safe.